Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Brooke Masters. This week, George Osborne will deliver his autumn statement. We discuss what to expect and who will gain the most from this. It's a major departure, really, for the British economy because it's bringing state funding into play. Also, European banks find they're facing multiple woes. First, a deep funding gap following a sharp fall in the number of bonds being issued this year. And separately, they're also struggling to raise capital to meet the new 9% core tier one ratio that's being put forward by the European Banking Authority. People that had hoped that we'd see this kind of wave of rights issues towards the back end of this year and into next year will be very disappointed. Joining me this week are the FT's retail banking correspondent, Charlene Goff, banking editor, Patrick Jenkins, and capital markets correspondent, Tracy Alloway. First, Patrick, why don't you tell us about what we should expect from the Chancellor tomorrow? Well, I'm sure he'll have a few surprises up his sleeve, but one of the key things that he is going to announce is the details of a new plan to guarantee SME lending. It's basically coming via a scheme where the government essentially will lend out its balance sheet, its its credit ratings, AAA credit rating to the banks to allow them to issue funding very cheaply in the markets. And the proviso is that the banks have to pass this funding on directly to SME lending. This, I suppose, is a recognition that one of the issues behind the logjam, if you like, in or the, the, the lack of lending that we've seen compared to what a lot of SME campaigners would like to see is that it's more expensive than most small businesses can afford or say they can afford. So there's a general belief that this should cheapen the cost of credit by about one percentage point, which could be pretty significant. They're talking about £20 billion of availability, maybe rising uh, to as much as £40 billion, uh, over the longer term. So, you know, it could be quite a significant boost for British business. And it brings arguably Britain into line with some other European economies, notably Germany, where these kinds of schemes have existed, existed for a long time. But it's a bit of a, you know, it's a major departure, really, for the British economy, because it's bringing state funding into play. Although it's not putting the government at any risk because the risk of the actual loan still remains with the banks. Yeah, there's been a lot of confusion about this, I think. So so the the guarantee that applies is to the actual debt rather than to the lending that then goes on to the small business customers. So if an SME uh, borrower defaults, the bank is still on the hook for that credit risk. The government isn't the one on the hook. The The government guarantees the debt that is issued to or by the banks in other words, so if the bank goes bust further down the road, then the government's potentially on the hook to those bondholders. Charlene, are there other things we should be looking for from this? Well, I think one interesting point is where it will fall in terms of you know the size of the SME, because the government has said that this cheaper funding should be available to businesses with turnovers of up to about 50 million. And actually, that's quite a, a big company. You know, most banks like Lloyd's, for example, the one of the biggest lenders to SMEs, their sort of cutoff is 15 million. So that's going very much into sort of the mid-sized businesses. And you 
you might think that banks would sort of naturally divert to those kind of businesses. And that means that the very smallest type, which are actually struggling the most to get finance at the moment, might not be helped at all by this. You know, the businesses with turnover of 5 million, 10 million, those sort of micro businesses. And it's those that we constantly hear are in the most difficult position. You know, they're being increasingly snubbed by the banks, um, charged more, finding that their credit lines are withdrawn. So how much it helps those businesses remains to be seen. Another thing to watch for is what state aid authorities say in Brussels, because this is state involvement, it's state aid, pretty clearly state aid. Um, What the British government is hoping for, I think, is that there is, as I say, a precedent in some European countries, Germany, as I say, notably with the KFW, where they already operate schemes like this. Um, So they're thinking that, you know, if Germany can get away with it, then they should be given the, the clean sheet as well. I think also it's a way that the government can test this theory that's been put forward for the best part of three years by the banks, which is that the lack of lending to SMEs is a problem of demand, not supply. So if that's true, this kind of scheme won't help that. It won't address demand. It won't encourage businesses that haven't wanted to borrow to invest to do so. So at at the very least... It should, you know, end that argument if this does help. And, you know, we are seeing banks, businesses take up this offer, then, you know, banks will not be able to put forward that argument no. that it's a de- demand, demand issue anymore. Demand a matter of price. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah. that yeah. sounds like if nothing else, it's worth getting that argument either on or off the table and we have a much better feel. Let's move on now to the situation for the European banks. Tracy, can you give us the overall picture of banks' ability to borrow in the market? Sure. Well, I think it's rather hard to feel sorry for the banks at the moment, but actually they're in a really, really difficult spot when it comes to funding. Because of everything that's happening in the Eurozone, the whole government debt crisis, you've basically had that spread to the banks and banks now are having a very hard time funding themselves in the bond market. We've got some figures here that say European banks sold $413 billion worth of bonds this year, but they're due to return about $654 billion back to investors in the same year, which basically leaves them with a $241 billion funding gap. That means they're already shrinking their balance sheets by billions of dollars slash euros. And it means, of course, that that's going to affect the wider European economy. You're going to have a crackdown on lending and potentially a credit crunch. Now, I know you have looked into this. Are there other sources of funding that they may be tapping that are not showing up in these figures? Well, bond funding is just one source of financing for European banks. You've also got retail and commercial deposits. They're usually a stickier or safer form of funding for the banks. But the problem is when you have something like the European crisis, they're also very prone to flight in the same way that bond financing is. So you've seen deposit runs in Greece. Some people have started to talk about that potentially happening in Italy. Um, In Spain, you've seen a fight for retail deposits. So the Spanish banks basically offering very, very high interest rates to lure in customers to make up for the drop in debt financing. And of course, you also have the ECB, which we've seen increasingly is providing emergency financing to Europe's banks. Also, to make matters worse, um, we saw particularly in the third quarter of this year, a huge withdrawal from banks lending to each other and British banks particularly, you know, really retrenching very quickly from lending to uh, rival banks in troubled Eurozone markets. I think many of them reduced their sort of interbank exposure by about a quarter just in that three month period. So all these combined, you start to worry that, you know, where is this, uh, where is the credit going to come from? 
And actually, there's a third source of stress, which is that the U.S. money market funds, which have traditionally been a great source of short-term funding, have been required by their own regulators to lengthen the term of where they are putting out their money for investment and also to increase their own liquidity. And as doubts are are raised about the European banks, they are more likely to take their money and go home with it. And so that is yet another source. Do we think that covered bonds, which for a while were being touted as a solution because they are, of course, tied to specific assets, are they picking up any of the slack? Oh, absolutely, they are. But the problem is they won't be able to pick up all of the slack. So, for instance, next year, you've got about $720 billion worth of bank bonds that are due to mature. That's much higher than this year. I think covered bonds will only be able to fill a fraction of that. The problem is covered bonds rely on high quality assets such as mortgage loans or public sector loans from banks' balance sheets. Those are in increasingly short supply at the moment. Covered bonds also have to be over collateralized. So for every bond you issue, you actually need more mortgages than the finance that you're raising. That's a tricky thing for banks to do, and I think it will become trickier as we go on with the Eurozone crisis. Now, obviously, the funding crisis is partly a crisis of confidence, and the European regulator's solution is that if all the banks had more capital, then we would be able to convince the markets to come back and be more willing to buy bonds. Charlene, do we have a sense that the the plans to force all these European banks to build up their capital, is it starting to work? Well, doesn't seem to be starting to work very quickly. And I think one of the biggest obstacles here is it's really not the kind of market where banks can issue more equity. You know, we've seen, we haven't seen them be able to do that at all. We had Unicredit, but that was really the only one that was able to, you know, launch a rights issue. I think people that had hoped that we'd see this kind of wave of rights issues towards the back end of this year and into next year will be very disappointed. We just haven't seen evidence of that. So banks are having to look to other measures to really improve their capital. We've heard a lot about deleveraging, selling assets, winding down loans. That, again, is proving very difficult. So we're seeing more what we call sort of creative or technical accounting sort of restructuring their balance sheet to maybe slightly change the definition of some of their existing capital. So they're kind of modelling their ratios, which is very technical, but it's a way that they can hit these, potentially hit these new capital requirements without having to raise fresh money or sell down assets. Which doesn't seem like it will do a huge amount for confidence if it's all just accounting trickery. Exactly. Well, it sounds like we're in for a rough couple of months, and I wouldn't be the wanting to try and get some financing from my bank right now. That's basically all we have today. All that's (laughs) left is to thank Charlene, Tracy, and Patrick for their contributions, and you for listening. Remembering, you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at www.ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Emily Cadman. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.